Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast, a showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. I'm Maurice Cherry, and before we get started, I've got a quick announcement to make. We are available on iTunes. Now you can listen to the podcast on the go on your iPhone, iPod, or iPad. To subscribe, just visit revisionpath.com forward slash iTunes and click the subscribe button. We want to get to the main new and noteworthy section of the iTunes store, so be sure to rate us five stars and write us a review as well. The more downloads, subscribers, five-star ratings, and reviews we get, the quicker we can make that happen. Also, don't forget about our survey. It only takes a few minutes to complete, and your feedback will help shape the future of Revision Path. Just go to revisionpath.com forward slash survey to fill it out. This week, I talked with Alex Smith, an entrepreneur and full-stack developer in San Francisco. Here we go. Now, you got the spark for technology pretty early. Uh, tell us how you got started. It was with the uh, the first iPod, is that right? Obviously, like when it came out, it was like the first one. It was quite expensive. Uh, and then shortly after that, like the iPod Touch came out. So like it was less expensive, uh, you know, still had the same, basically the same capabilities as the iPhone. And I was fortunate enough to be able to get one of those devices. And I don't know, like around that time, like a jailbreaking was like really popular. Like that was like, it was like this really big like, community of people, like, you know, jailbreaking, building things on top of that, uh, you know, with Cydia and things like that. So, like, I don't know. I just always wanted to build, like, some sort of a like, community around that. And so, basically, I started, like, uh, there's, like, this platform called, like, webs.com or something like that that basically, like, lets you build, like, a website, like, really easily for free. And so, basically, I, I did that. And, like, it, I couldn't, like, I felt, like, really boxed in because I couldn't customize it the way I wanted it to. And, you know, I started doing, like, more research, and I was on YouTube, like, doing HTML tutorials, and then, like, I was like, oh, so I have to design something, so then I pirated Photoshop, and so that's how I started getting into designing things uh-huh. uh, through a pirated version of Photoshop, and then, like, I started, like, I was like, okay, now I have these designs, like, how do, they, how do I actually make them function? So then uh, that's when I got into, like, mainly, like, front-end development, like, doing HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and then basically from there... Uh, I got into like uh, like robotics and like computer science in like middle school. Uh, I had, there was like this uh, there was this like former computer science professor uh, that was teaching like geometry at my middle school, and I met one of my good friends through him, who was also my age and was also interested in computer science stuff. And his dad just happened to be uh, the CIO for there's like this university here called the Turner University, so he had a lot of access to um, you know like a bunch of like computer science related material uh, so me and him started hanging out a lot and on weekends we would like just like you know code together and like build stuff and so like the summer of like my eighth grade year uh, me and him we built uh, sort of like this uh, it was like our first project that we built together it was uh, called like bench it was sort of like this um basically what ended, what happened was Facebook had just like released like the uh, social API to where you could embed like a like button on any website. Mm-hmm. So basically what we built was sort of a thing for people to generate likes. So if you had a quote or something or like a funny phrase, like you could type it in and enter it and then like hit like on it and then it would go to your Facebook and then other people would like it. So it created like this viral like uh, snowball effect. Mm-hmm. So basically like we were allowing people to create these likes without having to create like pages, but like make them like really quickly. So like our top like had like 300,000 likes and like, uh, like it got to the point where like okay, we can. We, there's some way we can make money off of this. So like we threw up, uh, we threw up Google Ads on there initially, and then like uh, we didn't have any of like the legal stuff to like actually collect the money. Like you had to have like an EIN or like a valid social security number. So like we didn't have that. So like we found this other uh, kind of shady ad platform 
that we put on there, <laughs> and we ended up making a good like a good twenty five hundred, three thousand dollars during the summer. Wow! Uh, just off that one project or whatever. So. And what was this? Was this a uh, Swift sharing or Likebench? No, no, this was called the Likebench, okay, and then Likebench. sort of like from that project. Uh, so like after that project, basically Facebook had like killed our developer AP, API access because we were basically essentially monetizing the like button. Uh, so basically from there, we kind of like went our separate ways for a couple months or whatever, like, you know, doing various things on our own. And then, um, around October, around October, like my freshman year in high school, uh, I watched the, I, I watched the social network or whatever. So I got like really, or no, I got like really like inspired or whatever to like build something like build something social so like i don't know i had like this idea i was like you know at the time like my facebook was just like i don't know like my news feed was just like really like cluttered with like various things i didn't care about so like i was like what if i could filter this out based on like the type of content people are sharing so like uh basically that's what switch sharing was and so that's when i really started getting more into like back-end development and like database uh, type stuff. So like I built all that. I built like the initial version like on my own mm-hmm. and then I launched it on it was like January 11, 2011. So it was like 1, 11, 11. And um, yeah. And so then my friend Paul, he noticed that, you know, I was working on something else and like he was kind of like, he was working on like some weird, um, like some, some like t- sort of tool for like robotics and like, I don't know if it wasn't going well or it just wasn't exciting. So then like we like, came back together and we started uh, working on this together. So, yeah, that's pretty much, like, what spurred us to, like, that point. And then, like, when, through working on that project, we had, like, a bunch of, uh, we, there were, like, some disagreements and things along the way. So, like, and the project was costing a lot of money to, like, keep up because, like, we were supporting, like, 10,000 plus users. And so, like, we weren't, like, making any money. So it was costing us, like, four or $500 in, like, uh, server bills a month to keep that running. Right. And, you know, we, we didn't have, like, a job or anything. Yeah, like, like you're still in high that, school, so. pretty much, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was still in high school at the time, so it was just like it was kind of like one of those pressing issues. Was we had to like just end up letting it go just because like we were disagreeing. Uh, the cost was a little enormous or whatever, so we ended up letting that go. And then like after that, I started working on this other project. Uh, that was basically what, but the idea of the project was basically trying to put like um, basically trying to reward users for uh, talking about brands online. Uh, so basically like me and my, me and my friend Paul, like we looked past our, our disagreements that we had in the past cause they were caused by someone else. And that's a long story. But, uh, so basically we started working on this project together and like, that's what we ended up applying to like the fellowship for. And we got pretty far with it. Uh, we didn't, we didn't get all the way to the point where we got like the actual hundred thousand dollars, but we still, uh, got to the point where we, where we do have like validation, uh, through like the network and things like that. And I mean, we still ended up in San Francisco. So like. I, I think it was a, I think it was good either way. So it sounds like it, yeah. And your current project that you're working on, that's Communely. Can you tell us some more about that? Yeah, yeah. So basically, Communely um, sort of like evolved uh, since we've been working on it. Um, initially, initially, where we came up with Communely was um, we were working on a previous project, and we had um, approached an investor. Basically, got torn apart, and so. We were just like, okay, what do we do now? So basically, uh, we just wanted to work on like a new project. And um, so basically, the idea behind it is basically we're uh, creating like interest-based communities of people. So like, let's say like you're interested in fishing, uh, you join the fishing community and you share 
uh, content around fishing, whether it's like, you know, tips you have on fishing or like, you know, some really awesome photos you took while fishing or anything like that. And then on the back end of that, let's say, um, for example, I'm trying to think of a brand that's fishing. Let me think, uh, let's say I'm a brand, you know, that has like, you know, some sort of like fishing gear or something like that. And I've set up a community, uh, and you know, I have all these people in my community creating all this great content about my brand. Well, we build like sort of like a CRM that basically takes all that content information and, and analytics and like makes it make sense and basically identifies like your top uh, like consumers uh, in term, from like a bunch of like different data points from like the people that are creating the most content like about you, like the people that are sharing it the most to like Facebook and Twitter, as well as like the people that are visiting your community the most. Like basically like all these like interesting like data points that like Facebook pages doesn't provide, Twitter doesn't provide right now mm-hmm. uh, for your communities. And we're also building uh, we're also building an e-commerce platform into that. So where like uh, let's say I'm a, a fishing brand and I can sell. I can sell whatever it is that I want to sell directly to my community and then get analytics and data based on the people that are actually like uh, purchasing my product. So it's like basically every, it's basically giving every industry a CRM for their online communities. Uh, Cause like one issue, like, so like we work like right now, we're working like with a bunch of like artists and influencers or whatever. And like one issue that they all have is like, they say they have like these huge communities online, whether it's Facebook or Twitter, but like they all say like whenever it comes to like selling something, like they have like all these huge numbers, but then like their sales don't match like the huge numbers. Mm-hmm. Like, like for example, French Montana has like 2 million followers on Twitter but the first week his album only did like 40,000. Like there's a huge disconnect there. Right. So basically we're really just trying to solve that disconnect between like the number of people you have in your community and the number of people that are like actively engaged and like really want to be there and like are actively like supporting you. Uh, not just from like a social standpoint in terms of talking about you, but also from a monetary standpoint, actually purchasing uh, your product, whether it's an album, clothing, or some sort of digital download, anything. Yeah, I would imagine trying to map those conversions is pretty, is pretty hard. I mean, I, I work with with clients too, and they sort of have that same issue when it comes to social campaigns. If you know they have a lot of fans and they get a lot of likes, but how does that translate into dollars? Like, how does that translate yeah. into sales and donations? And yeah, like and that's like especially like for artists, like that's a really big thing. So like, uh, we've been fortunate enough to like my third co-founder. Um, he's been in the music industry for quite a while. Um, so we've been fortunate enough to be able to uh, reach a lot of like uh, top um, artists and be able to like sit down with them and figure out what exactly it is that they want in a platform like this and be able to like sort of articulate that and build that and actually be able to launch our iPhone app with them in a few weeks or so. So uh, that's pretty exciting. Um, another thing that they really like is they like that, you know, they don't always like, like a thing like with Facebook and Twitter is like they always have to be uh, the content creator versus like with this, like with this community, uh, their fans are the people that are creating content. They can just feature stuff. They can still post and create content, but like it's not like they necessarily have to. Like, if, you know, like an, if an artist doesn't tweet for a certain amount of time, people get bored. But like this sort of like puts it in the hands of the fans and them at the same time. And so. So it sounds like a lot of the work that you've done has really built on, it's built on social, like LikeBinge and Swift Sharing and Community at all. Yeah. It's sort of built on um, on social. What do you see, I don't know, like maybe in the next two or three years in terms, like if you could forecast where you see social going in terms of engagement, what would you say? Right. So like, social right now like is pretty much dominated by like Facebook, Twitter, like and Snapchat, right? But, like, Snapchat has sort of, like, captivated, like, you know, the younger audience, like, you know, my age group mainly. Um, like, for me, 
like I have people that like I Snapchat only. Like I, I don't communicate with them anywhere else except for Snapchat. Um, but like at the same time, like I find myself wanting like a media, like rich experience. Like so, like I mean, like teens, like I, from my perspective, like I mean, I use Facebook only because like I have like older people in my network, you know, and it's just good for me to use Facebook, you know, for the industry that I'm in. Mm-hmm. But like I've noticed, like a lot of like teens, like you know, my age, like friends from high school and things like that, don't really use Facebook as often. They're more towards like Instagram and Snapchat, like those type of media rich experiences. Mm-hmm. So like, I think like the media rich experiences in terms of like photos and videos are really what's going to like take off uh, like even more in the next two or three years or so. And I think that's like the really like important piece like i mean there's also vine like yeah my friends are like they're always like on vine like you know trying to find funny videos and things like that so like i definitely think like media rich social experiences are really what's like going to take off versus like facebook like yeah it is a media rich experience but like you have like your grandma there and then like you also have like your best friend there and there's just like this weird like there's just like this weird like thing when you post something to facebook that it only applies like a certain group of people Mm -hmm. and if like another group of people see it it just doesn't just doesn't work so yeah it feels like with facebook things really kind of grew out of hand fast like i mean i'm dating myself but i would remember before facebook i mean really right when first right when for facebook first came out um and it was really only set for a specific amount of colleges and for a long time it was really just a a college only platform and then once it started kind of opening up to everyone and and bringing in everyone and really started gaining a lot of traffic a lot of people find facebook to be unwieldy for those same types of uh of of things that you mentioned where it's like there's there's too much overlap between all these social circles uh, yeah and it's it's hard to really filter out information and it's hard to target information yeah and like i mean things like google plus like try to solve that but it's like, like migrating over to something completely new like it just i don't know it's just not i don't know it just doesn't feel like i mean it, it, in theory it sounds like it would work but like in practice it just just didn't work for whatever reason but like i don't know i just i just feel like they're like that type of thing just there's just it's just too much work to like add everyone you know it's like a specific circle like it just it like it, it sounds great but like it's just a lot of work and a lot of people don't want to do that yeah and also facebook with its privacy controls is always a little sketch so i think that yeah that kind of prevents people from wanting from wanting to really share because you don't know how it's going to end up or where it's going to end up is facebook going to sell it to some third-party company you don't really know yeah exactly like for me like i just post everything i post on facebook publicly because like i just feel like if i'm going to post it to facebook i might as well just make it public because mm-hmm. there's no use in trying to like filter it out by people or whatever and plus it's just easier right. <laughs> in the long run as well so so with everything that you're working on now like how do you stay motivated like what what kind of compels you what gets you up in the morning um, I don't know, a variety of things I'd say. Um, just like I'm, I'm really, I'm incredibly passionate about this project. Um, plus, uh, we sort of raised some funding from some investors, so oh. that also adds fuel to the yeah. fire. Hey, you get money. Uh, I hear <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but not only that, but like, uh, one of the like really big motivations, like in life for me at least, uh, it's probably sparked from like my mom. Uh, just because, like, you don't know, growing up, like, it was just really, like, my mom and then my two younger siblings. And, like, so, like, I always, like, so theoretically, yeah, like, you know, my mom could have been, you know, she could have easily lived off, you know, government assistance, whatever. But, like, she has always felt this need to, like, provide, uh, you know, herself for us. Mm-hmm. And so, she, like, she always, like, lived far beyond her means just to ensure 
that we could all have like the best of everything in terms of like education and access uh, to like, whether it be like technology or like library or you know t- after school tutoring, just b- making sure that we had like the best of everything so that we wouldn't have like an excuse uh, to be anything but you know a, a, a working person in society doing something mm-hmm. uh, like pushing culture forward. So like that's like a really big like a motivation for me to be able to like actually like do that and actually push culture for it and then also you know be able to eventually one day you know take care of my mom obviously that uh because she did so much for me so like those are probably like the top three like motivators from my for me okay do you have any any mentors that are kind of also helping you out now um mentors um right now um so like my so it's really it's really interesting uh, so like at me i'm 18 uh, my other co-founder he's 21 and then our third co-founder he's actually 33 uh, he serves as a co-founder, but also like a mentor because it's like really interesting. So like me and my other co-founder, who's 21, we're both young and, you know, we're sort of like inexperienced in terms of like, um, you know, like the real world and, you know, how things work like in the real world and like, you know, business sense or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, he's 33, you know, he's in the music industry and things like that. And so he's like seen like a lot of things and like how a lot of people have gone wrong. And so like sort of like that, like the combination of like our ages sort of like brings in like this weird like it's not like a weird vibe. It's more like this interesting like combination of like um like intelligence. Like he's seen a lot of things and he has like a lot of wisdom and things like you know just from what he's done. And it hasn't just been in the music industry. He's been in like other industries as well. So he brings sort of like this like wisdom and like insight to things that like I think we would normally miss just because we're younger and we haven't experienced certain things yet. Uh-huh. Uh, so like he definitely serves as like a really like big mentor for me. And then I have like you know other older friends that sort of serve as like the same. Uh, for me as well. Uh, one of my good friends, uh, Colby, sort of serves as, uh, he's 25, and he's sort of, like, been down the same path I've been down in terms of, like, you know, whenever he was in high school, like, you know, he was doing, like, the whole development thing, except for he started, like, a freelance firm, and so, like, his attention shifted from high school more towards his firm, and, like, he missed a lot of school because he, he was fo- more focused on that, so, like, he kind of, like, identifies a lot with, like, the things uh, that I'm doing, and so, like, he really... Uh, you know, serves as a friend as well as like a mentor to me uh, in certain situations. So, okay. and who was your your co-founder slash mentor that you mentioned, the older older guy? Oh, uh, Todd Stansberry. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's um he's a music video director. Um, he's directed like a really uh, he's got like quite an impressive resume. He's directed like a lot of like um music videos from like Rihanna. Uh, it's, like last week he did a video for like Rick Ross and like uh, Jeezy. Um, and like it's really cool because like all like all of like his recent videos uh, we're like gonna like put like community stuff in it so like and, like the cool thing about that is like we can do that and normally like if we wanted to like do like some kind of like placement in, like a video it would cost like north of like twenty thousand dollars but like you know since he's directing the video uh-huh. and he's a part of community like we can do that type of thing for free so like it saves us a lot of money in the long run and still gets us like a lot of eyes and attention so nice you get that free uh a free product placement in videos that's good <laughs> yeah uh, would you say well let me let me back this up a little bit are you? Is, are there any sort of personal projects that you're working on right now? Because I think aside from from communally, I'm wondering: is there anything else that kind of uh, sort of grounds you or centers you outside of the business stuff that you're doing? Um, right now, um, I'm not really. I'm not working on any like side projects or personal projects like as of now. Um, but there is this um, project that I've been throwing around, like a few friends. Uh, well, a few friends and I have been throwing around. Um, uh, just about um, the ability to like split like payments anywhere. 
so like uh, we're probably eventually going to build up, but like right now, I, I don't. I just don't like right now for me. Like I just don't have like the time. I feel necessary to devote to something else on the side, mm-hmm. uh, just because like I'm I'm kind of like ridiculously busy at like right now between like being in LA almost every other weekend and then like doing product stuff and then product design and then managing um, just managing other people that we have like doing stuff for us. Like there's like I just don't feel like I have like time adequate to like give like my full. Not necessarily my full attention, but like enough of my attention to where I can have like a meaningful impact on something on the side. I hear you. Where do you see yourself in like the next, I don't know, maybe like next five years or so? Because it sounds like right now you're on a a really great trajectory just business-wise. Where do you see yourself in the future? Um, In the future, I definitely see myself... I don't know, like I like I've always just had like this. Um, I've always just wanted to build something that has like a really big impact um, on any scale. So like in the next five years or so, hopefully I can see that realized. Ho- hopefully within community, just because of like all the cool things that we've been doing lately, and like all the things that we, like we have like in the pipeline, uh, that that could definitely be like a reality. But like I just want to like have like an impact on like a large scale. Because like whenever whenever I was in high school and I built Swiss sharing like the social network like we got to 10k like people and I felt like I had like that was like a that was a big thing to me but like in actuality 10,000 people really isn't that large a number so like I just want to have like an impact on like a lot of people like within the next five ten years or so so do you do you have an idea of what that might be like are you thinking more along the lines of um, I don't know something that can really benefit the public like for um, I don't want to say nothing like another Facebook or something, but maybe something yeah, that yeah. serves more of a public need. Do you have an idea? Yeah, definitely, definitely something in the social space. Um, just because, like, I don't know, I have, like, this weird thing. Like, so, like, now mostly everyone has access to the Internet. Now mostly everyone has a smartphone. So I just feel like there's, like, this really big, like, opportunity in, like, you know, I mean, people are already connected, but, like, connecting them on other levels, like, the things that they're interested in. Uh, through their mobile devices, I think there's like a really big like space there. So definitely, like I definitely want to have like a really big impact somewhere in like the social space for sure. Like that's just where I've always been like most passionate, and that's what I've always been the most passionate about. So, mm-hmm. is there a particular trend in this industry that that you see that you wish would just like die a slow, painful death? Um, because I, I feel this- like, and the reason I'm asking that is because you know you're approaching this. I feel from a really fresh perspective so you're seeing things that you know i mean i'll I'll just tell you like i'm (laughs) i'll be turning 33 soon and so i i was around back when the first kind of bubble burst i actually worked out Mm -hmm. in silicon valley back when that happened so to sort of see how things have changed or really have stayed the same in a way from then to now i just you know I'm, i'm i'm always curious to see how i see history sort of uh repeat itself in a way yeah, well, like, one trend that I've noticed is, like, so if there's, like, one, like, breakout, like, standout, like, you know, app or something that's, you know, inherently social or something like that, uh, it seems like people are, like, really quick to, like, take that concept and, you know, add a few bells and whistles to it and then, like, push it and then try to get people to use it when it's really, like, at the, at, at the core, it's really, like, nothing that, like, that's significantly different. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, I just feel like, I just feel like people aren't as, like, you know, creative anymore in that sense in terms of like you know trying to figure out like you know like getting like a core problem whether it's like social or like something else and like you know trying to find like a unique solution to it like i feel like people now are like trying to piggyback off of like other people and not like differentiating enough Mm -hmm. and like that's that's how you end up with products that are like all like 
like like it was like with Instagram, like Instagram was like the standout, like you know, photo sharing, you know, application or whatever. But you know, with Instagram, there was like um, there were like so many others that like didn't even like stand a chance. Like you know, after Instagram like, took off, so it's just like. I don't know, I just feel like a lot of people are just like, you know, piggybacking off of like other people instead of like trying to find like unique, unique like avenues and things like go, go down. Like, and I think that's like, I don't know, like I feel like, and then at the same, on the same token, I feel like VCs are like wanting to bet on like different people for like different perspectives. So like, I mean, there are pros and cons there, but. And that's interesting. You mentioned that about uh, VCs and also, I guess, along the lines of, of uh, individuality, because I think when, when people talk about, for example, uh, diversity in our field, there's, of course, a lot of talk about gender diversity and about racial diversity. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, people bring out stats about how diverse teams can, um, like, solve bigger problems or, or, you know, shit like that. But more so along yeah. the lines of saying that, you know, these diverse teams give uh, diverse trains of thought, because... I think a lot of the criticism around Silicon Valley and particularly around like the San Francisco design and tech scene is that, you know, these are like these are 20 something white guys solving problems for other 20 something white guys. And the things that they're doing are not really that specific outside of that little bubble. Like they don't Mm -hmm. really uh, help out everyone. They sort of help out people in this little enclave that, you know, is, is Silicon Valley. Yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely agree with that. Like, it's, I don't know, it's interesting. I've always worked with like, um, I've always, I've always worked with people of like unique like backgrounds. Um, you know, just like even like now, like you know, my co-founder, he's Indian, I'm black, and then my other co-founder is black, but he's much older. Like, I, I don't know, I, I find like working like with a variety of like people like always makes things more interesting, and like they always bring like unique viewpoints that like I would otherwise miss. Right. And I mean, like in any team, that's always valuable. But definitely, when you uh, all come from different walks of life, and yet you can still find the synergy to like work together and then like provide like unique perspectives and insights into different things. Uh, I think that's really valuable, and I think that's probably one reason why like you know unique and diverse teams probably succeed more than people that are like really similar. Yeah, I, I, a lot of the conversation I hear whenever people are talking about um, you know oh well, you should have more diverse teams, you should have more diverse speakers at your panel or, or whatever you know the main thing there's two things that are brought up the first thing is always um show me the data like show me the data that says that you know we have to have you know this quota of people or you know mm-hmm. you know this diversity quota that we have to reach in order to to make an impact and i think the second thing along the lines of quota is people feel that adding diversity to a team is a zero-sum game Meaning that, mm-hmm. like, if if your team has a qualified woman or a black person or an Asian person or something, that somehow means that someone else is losing an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, they're quick to say, oh, well, it's, it's an affirmative action thing. This is tokenism. And really, it's not. I, I really think that's, like, a, a really weak argument to, to put. Yeah. Forward. Like, just do the work. Like, you just get the right people that are doing the work. And, you know, yes, diversity is important, but I don't know. I, I feel, I just feel some kind of way whenever those things come up because, you know, increasing diversity is not a zero-sum game. It shouldn't be looked at in that way. And I feel that if you're looking at it that way, you don't want it in the first place. That's how I feel. Yeah, I definitely agree with that as well. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like sometimes, like, people try to focus 
like, I don't know, like, I feel like people get caught up in, like, the meta of, like, startups a lot. Like, you know, I'm a startup entrepreneur. I have to go to startup events. Like, you know, the meta stuff that really, like, in the long run doesn't matter right. as much as long as you, like, just build something that's, like, really awesome. Yeah, like, build, like, like build the product, refine the product, yeah. you know, talk to your users, that sort of thing. It's not necessarily about um, making sure that it's diverse because you can have a diverse team and put out some shit and it's just not good. <laughs> yeah. You know? And that's happened. There have been people, I'm not going to name any names, uh, but I mean, there are, <laughs> there are groups and teams that have gotten together and they have made a huge play about them being a diverse team and they put out a product that is terrible. Mm, I'm not going to mention yeah. the name. I'll mention that. To you. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I, I totally, I totally uh, get what you mean there. Um, so it's, it's February now when we're recording this interview. This will publish in March. Uh, are you attending South by Southwest by any chance? Actually, yeah, um, I'm actually booking my flight later today. Nice. Is this your, <laughs> uh, to will this be your first time going, or have you been before? Yeah, this is my first time going to South by Southwest. So, oh, um, man. Definitely. Oh, man. Okay, so I'm going to give you some definitely. South by Southwest pointers, as I'm sure you've probably heard uh, from people. So, like, um, I don't know if you have allergies, like if you have any really mm. bad allergies or anything, but if you do, you should get, like, Zyrtec or Claritin or a face mask or something, because... The, the hay fever and the cedar fever in Austin is, like, ridiculous. I feel like if you're from Texas, you probably don't really? have it. But, like, it's, interesting. It's, it's pretty bad. Just as a precaution, like, you get that. Um, what else? Bring a water bottle, like a refillable water bottle, mm. because the water in the convention center is, like, four bucks a bottle. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Bring something that you can fill up in, like, the bathroom or the, the water fountain or something. Um, let's see. What else? Most of the magic happens outside of the panels, like because everything wraps up at about like four o'clock or something, I think. Mm. So all the magic happens when the panels aren't really going on. The magic happens at the lunch meetings. Uh, I would say it doesn't even happen at the parties because the parties are like a cattle call. Like there's a bunch of people just standing around and it's not it's not really the best place to network. It's usually like those little intimate lunches Mm -hmm. that you have it's you know like grabbing a bite with someone like that's where the real networking and the magic happens Mm because you'll see the convention center is ridiculous to get around first of all and secondly the crowd is big like every year south by south gets larger 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 and you know it spreads out more and more so there are more events that are not at the central convention center there's stuff at hotels and you know museums and stuff so it's really spread out so a lot of the the networking that you do is not going to be you know sitting in a panel or sitting on a panel are you on the <laughs> panel by any chance no not not this year unfortunately okay. um yeah. it's interesting that you mentioned the uh hay fever uh-huh. and stuff like that uh i've been to austin a few times and i've never i've never heard anything about that before so that I definitely should probably look into that. Yeah, I mean, um, if you don't, if you don't really have any bad allergies, like I have, like my allergies are ridiculous. So it 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 like knocked me on my ass when I got there the first time. <laughs> I like stepped off the plane, stepped out the airport, and just like that, I was like miserable for five days. So, it, wow, just a precaution, just passing it along. That's all. <laughs> a little helpful <laughs> advice um, is is to do that. I'm trying to think what else. Um, yeah, I think the networking thing is probably the biggest thing. Like, don't feel pressured to have to go to, like, every party because every party's going to have, like, some really long line to get into. And then when you get in there, you're going to be like, this is whack. Anyway, yeah. like, try, to, like, try to aim for the smaller, um, the smaller lunches or the smaller meetings or things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
trying to think what else. The lobby at the Hilton is usually always popping off at, at night. Um, gotcha. Let's see, what else? And just, you know, just, just go and just have fun. Like, if this is your first South by Southwest and you're 18, like, just go and just, like, have a blast. Like, just have a great time. Yeah, I've heard, um, I've heard like different things. Like, I've heard like some people say, "Oh, you don't need a badge or whatever." Like, you really to, don't. Like, you, stuff. you really don't. I actually tell that to people too. Like, if you're trying to go for the first time, you don't have to have a badge. I mean, you have to have yeah. a badge to see the panels and stuff. But in terms mm-hmm. of like getting in the South by Southwest experience, mainly because the event is so spread out, and some parties you need a badge, but like you don't need a badge to go to lunch with someone. You don't need a badge. To share yeah. a cab or something with someone like if you don't if you're not really that gung ho about the panels and trust me most people mm-hmm. will be live streaming live tweeting live writing live blogging whatever the panels so if there's mm-hmm. a panel you're really passionate about chances are someone's gonna make a synopsis of it anyway like save that five hundred dollars for something else if you don't yeah, really have um, to go to a panel don't go to a panel yeah we were gonna grab badges but like when when we went to like go like actually purchase them they were, they were like all sold out or something, so we're just like, okay, let's just wing it and like see what happens. Yeah, but yeah, like a lot of people, have, a lot of people have told us that like it's not like it's not a big deal if you don't have a bad. So it really is, and the price goes up every year, and it's really the way that they do it is unless you're like South by Southwest wraps in March, and then they usually announce like the dates and everything later on in the year, like June, July, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And chances are, if you're not ready to buy right then and there, like you're going to be asked out when it comes to. Um, <laughs> next year because they offer well that's the thing like for the speakers speakers get the first mm-hmm. choice of hotel so all the good rooms are going to go to the speakers first and then you got to try to get in where you fit in with everything else and everyone jacks up the prices I think the year I went it was I think 220 a night which I'm sure by now is more wow. expensive than that yeah like even um, even like Airbnb is like people have jacked their prices up Fortunately yeah. enough for me, I've got like I've got a good friend that lives down there. That has oh, a house. see, there you go, there you go. <laughs> That's how you do it. See, you're already a little bit ahead of the game. That's good. But yeah, South by Southwest. It's if you if you do it right, it's it's fun. Just don't try to like go to every party, go to every panel. Like the way that it's structured, like it's structured so you can't do everything. You know, they're gonna it's have multiple. Rich. They're gonna have multiple concurrent events. It's structured so there's no way you can go to everything. Um, and the interactive and film, I think, are going on at the same time. I think that's what it is. Interactive and music usually follow each other. So after interactive, that's when music is. I don't know if you're staying for the whole. Are mm-hmm. you staying for the whole? Oh, no. Um, two weeks? I, unfortunately, I can't. Okay. I wish I could, but yeah. Yeah. Interactive and film go on at the same time. If I recall, film is the entire, the entire festival is film. But then interactive is first and then... Once the interactive people leave and the music people come in, and um, it's usually after. Now, I hear the music is a lot tamer than interactive. Like, interactive is actually the wildest part of South By. It's, really? It's, it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Take lots of pictures. It's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I would think it would be the other way around with yeah. artists and things. Well, I mean, because there's so much that happens with the web, like, the interactive part has the interactive part has gotten so big. There's actually a separate um, interactive-ish event called South by Southwest V to V, which is like venture mm-hmm. to venture or something, and it's it's just for like venture capitalists and people that are trying to to get um, funding and things like that. I think that's what it's about. I'm sure it's it's probably changed in scope in in some uh, 
way, shape, or form. But yeah, mm. interactive is usually like the biggest part. That's where a lot of people come in. Music is a little bit tamer by comparison, but um, but yeah, so, I mean, go have fun. You know, don't try to get wrapped up and caught up in trying to go to every single party and stuff. Most of them are gonna be pretty whack. I don't even. I think when I went, I don't think anybody was even dancing at the parties. People were just kind of standing around. Yeah, like beer. even in San Francisco, at most like you know tag parties, no one really dances anyway. Oh, there it's kind is. Of a, I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, this one club you should go to. It's funny how much of this we're talking about in South by Southwest, but there's this one <laughs> club. Um, oh my God, I cannot think of the name of it. I'll put it in the show notes because I can't think of it right now. But uh, you should you should try to hit that up. It's usually kind of a hidden spot. It's like a hidden mm-hmm. secret thing, which is probably why I'm not going to tell it in the podcast. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you can try to hit that up, they've usually got a really good DJ that does some uh, some great mixes. You can dance, like you know, just like have fun, just have fun. Yeah, of course. All right, cool. So just to wrap this up, uh, where can our readers find you online? Um, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Alex A L A X I C. So basically, you can find me on Twitter at Alex, Instagram at Alex. Um, you can also find me um, Facebook. That's actually Alex Jordan. So A L A X I C J O R D A N. And you can also find me at uh, community.com slash Alex as well. So. All right. Sounds good. Alex Smith, again, thank you so much uh, for taking time out of your day for this. This was a really good interview and have fun at South by Southwest. All right. Thanks so much for the opportunity. All right. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Alex Smith and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to take our survey at revisionpath.com forward slash survey and subscribe to us on iTunes. Tell everyone you know because we really want to get the word out. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like what we're doing with these podcasts, you can help sponsor the show. Contact information will be included in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.